0: We've been in a series called Difference Makers. And uh, the first week we talked about the difference maker that is the presence of God. The second week we talked about the difference maker that is the Word of God in our life. And I want to talk to you about the third difference maker and the topic of my sermon this morning is the know-how to win. How many know if you're going to fight in a battle or compete in a game, you don't just compete just to compete, you compete to win. And the best kind of game that we play in life is the one that we actually win. And in this thing, in the scoreboard of life, This morning I hope to just dive into you some details on what it really means uh, to win at life. Taking a scripture out of uh, the parable of of the seeds, Matthew chapter 13 verses 25 reads this, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds, weeds, thank you. C.S. Lewis, a screw tape letter, said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our, fa- our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. I was reading a publication many years ago out of the Gospel Herald, and the Gospel Herald story said, uh, shared this story. An old deacon who used to pray every Wednesday night at prayer meeting would always conclude his prayer the same way. He would pray at the end of his prayer, and, Lord... Clean all the cobwebs out of my life. The cobwebs were those things that ought not to have been there, but had gathered during the week. It got too much for one of his friends in, in service that week because he had heard the old deacon one time too many often. And so when the man made that prayer, Lord, clean all the cobwebs out of my life, his friend shouted, just like I did a friend over here shout, told me the weeds. His friend shouted, Stop praying for God to clear the cobwebs. Just kill the spider. That man needed the know-how to win. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, I ask for your help today in Jesus' name, and everybody says amen. amen. You know, everybody has a strategy on winning until cannonballs are coming at their face. Right. Let me explain. Uh, there was a captain of this uh, this ship that saw an enemy ship on the horizon. And the, and the captain, my wife's already laughing because she knows a joke. Um, The captain saw this enemy ship coming on the horizon and he wanted to be a brave captain. He wanted to lead his people into victory. And the captain of this this ship said, bring me my red shirt. And the guy goes, why do you want me to bring you your red shirt, the first mate said. And the first mate said, well, the captain says, well, in case I bleed, people won't know that I'm bleeding and then they'll fight like further on. And the moment that he said that, there was like 20 enemy ships that came on the horizon. And he looked to his first mate and he said, bring me my brown pants. (laughs) If you guys got offended at that joke, all correspondence go to the elder board of this church. Pastor St. John, you wanna handle those requests this week? All right, he's got them. It's amazing how we have a strategy until cannonballs start coming, and we really need the know-how to win. The know-how is knowledge of the methods or techniques of doing something, especially something technical or practical. We learned last week that discipleship could be said as, it's the eyes that were once used to living in darkness are now living in light, and that process or sanctification requires not just a taking off, but a putting on. Oftentimes in church, we'll spend a whole lot of times about things that we shouldn't do, and we don't talk a lot about what we should be doing. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about the, 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 how, we, how we get uh, changed is by the transformation, by the, renew, by the renewal of our mind. 2 Timothy 2 and 21 tells us the goal produced through and by Jesus. I love this scripture. Those who cleanse, cleanse themselves from the latter... Will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Come on, somebody. I'm thankful that God doesn't just save me from something, but He saves me to something. That I don't just have to be just in an existence state without actually having a purpose behind my life. If no one's ever told you, you were born for a reason and a purpose. Two great days of a man's life, when a man's born and when a man finds out what he was born to do. You, you have a purpose in this life. And the enemy has tried to rob generations of what God has called them to do. We, we read in Scripture, Ezekiel, I look for a man among them but found no one. There are generations that have passed by where God has wanted and intended for them incredible purposes, but the window has passed by. We don't want that. We want to discover the purpose that God has for our life. If I were to talk about a picture of what I believe he wants for us, and your your picture could be a little bit different, but to aim at a a point where where this is what we say God wants for us. I I believe that God wants for us to be followers of him and Jesus. To be be students of of his word. To be a master of my own heart and an encourager of someone else's heart. And to not get those two things mixed up. Sometimes we're really good about being the master of someone else's heart. And when someone's preaching or the Bible, our mind goes to, well, they, they really need to hear this. No, but I believe what God has for us as individuals is to be the master of my own heart and to be an encourager of other hearts. I believe that he wants us to know that I have an enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and to destroy. My dad would teach me this next one. He would say, Jay... In your life, don't just live for temporal things. Strive to live for eternal things. Endeavor for sincerity, genuineness, authenticity over outward prideful appearances. To live in such a way no one sees us, knows our name, but they know His name. To find ourselves, each and every one of us, as the faithful servants that we were called to be. And I believe... It's part of our job to love the hell out of each other. To get those things in our lives that aren't pleasing to God and to look at other people and say, it's not my job to judge you, it's my job just to love you and walk along this sanctification journey with you. I don't know what your list is, but I'm thankful that God doesn't just call us from something, He calls us to something. Thomas Brooks says this, you have to know... That it is not the knowing, nor the talking, nor the reading man, but the doing man, that at last will be found the happiest man. James 2 and 26 puts it like this, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so so faith without works is dead also. This morning, I just want to spend a few moments talking to you about the scoreboard of life. I've had the privilege over the last three weeks to get back into basketball coaching. Coaching 26 uh, junior high kids, which is... I think coaching is probably not the proper phrase. It should be like herding cats. It's probably what I'm doing. We have kids that are really good at basketball and kids that have never touched a basketball in their whole, uh, in their whole life. And I, and I love the confidence that, that parents instill in their kids. Uh, we have one kid who's just learning how to play basketball and we're trying to sub him in and give him as much playing time as he can. And he'll walk to the bench and look at me as a coach or Chase, coach, chase as a coach and go, where's my playing time at, man? And we're looking at him like you don't even know how to dribble the ball, so I don't even know like what you want me to do. But it's amazing how if we're not careful, we'll have wrong or, or wrong discernment on so many levels in our life. This, here's what the scoreboard of life teaches me. Well, number one is this: is there's a home team, or you have a a team that you're a part of. I love in Rocky Five that phrase, you're like home team. But I, I fear this is my fear as a pastor. That church has become not a place where we know that we have a home team, but where we constantly question if people in the pews next to us are actually really for us, or are they against us. And we must create an environment, listen to me, we must create an environment in the last days where when people walk into this building, people know that this is home team. This is a safe place. This is a safe space. That we have a home team. The second thing the scoreboard of life teaches us is that you have an enemy or an opponent. Does everyone understand that we have an enemy or an opponent? We battle our flesh, but not only do we battle our flesh, the Bible talks about, and we'll we'll dive into this in a few moments, there are principalities and powers at work, rulers of the darkness, that don't want you to win. And if you don't have a home team... Home team is Jesus. Home team is the fellow believers of body of Christ. Home team should be people that you can lean on when you're going through valleys and, and mountaintops. They should celebrate you when good things happen and they should weep with you when bad things are happening. Home team. But you have an opponent that wants to try to take you out. But the third thing the scoreboard teaches us is that time is short and the clock is running out. And as Christians, we have to live with an urgency. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 23:23. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Here's the truth. There is a truth that will cause you to win in life, not just temporal but eternal life, and that truth is a precious commodity. And so what, what did Solomon write in Proverbs 23 and 23? That you need to spend your life buying through failures, defeats, and victories the truth And the know-how that will cause you to win. In in the kingdom of God, we don't have have failures, we have lessons. It is the righteous man that falls down seven times, and what does he do? He He gets back up. And you have, listen to me, you have inside of you the spirit that will cause you to get back up. You don't have to lay down and fit in. You don't have to lay down and have a victim mentality. When you are birthed as a new creature in Christ, he has created a winner on the inside of you. And that winner, every time you get knocked down, has the ability to stand right back up. Thankful for the power of God in our life. But we need to spend our life, and this is a sanctification process, buying through toil and energy and effort, being a disciplined follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus, the attributes and the character that it's going to take to actually win in life. Every Sunday I am struck when I see Jaden and Jace down at an altar. It's not just good enough for me to win, I want my boys to win. And I don't just want my boys to win, I want my future grandchildren to win. Brooke and I are praying for our future daughter-in-laws. We're praying that in our life, We don't just win, but generations beyond us win, and they win in a huge way. So you have to understand. So today we're just going to study, just study, just for a few moments, and and talk to you about some principles about the know-how to win. The first is this, is you have to know that you have an enemy. You have an enemy who will study you and your weaknesses. Listen to this. Whatever sin the heart of man is most prone to, that the devil will help move forward. If David was found to be proud of his people, the enemy will bring a lie that tells him to number his people. If Peter was fearful, Satan will put upon him rebuking and denying of Christ to save his own skin. If Ahab's prophets in 1 Kings 22 were given to flattery, the devil will straightway become a lying spirit in the mouth of 400 of them, and they shall flatter Ahab to his ruin. Whatever sin the heart of man is most prone to, that the devil will help move forward. If Judas will be a traitor, Satan will quickly enter his heart and make himself master for his money, which some said would never happen. If Ananias lies for advantage, Satan will fill his heart so that he may lie with a witness and to the Holy Ghost. What is it? That thing that you are prone to, the enemy doesn't come and try to dangle a carrot in your life that is opposite of what you're prone to. He will study your life, and in the studying of your life, he'll bring uh, his own agents, his own people, his own ways, his own works to try to get you to trip up. In other words, Satan loves to sell with the wind and to suit men's temptations to their conditions and their inclinations. I want to give you some tools today to win, okay? If if people are full of prosperity, Proverbs 39 says, they will tempt themselves to deny God. If people find themselves in adversity, he will tempt them to distrust God. If their knowledge is weak, he will, they will, the enemy will try to tempt you to have low thoughts of God. How many times have people blamed God for the failures or the, the result of the fall of sin, fall of man? How many times have we blamed God for something that God had nothing to do with? What does the enemy do? The enemy takes your low knowledge of God, your weak knowledge of God, And he will tempt you to have a low thoughts of God. If your conscience is very tender, if you're a feeler, he will tempt you to offense. If your conscience is prideful, he will tempt you and get you ready for a large fall. If you're bold-spirited, he will tempt you to presumption. If you're nervous, he'll tempt you to desperation. If you're flexible, he'll tempt you to faithlessness. Faithlessness. Matthew 13 and 25, let's see if I can get it right this time. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds. 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 reads it like this. Lest Satan, warning, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. The Lord doesn't want you to live ignorant of how the enemy is trying to trip you up. So you have an enemy that will study your weaknesses, but God. Look at your neighbor and say, but God. But God God has given us the ability to study the enemy's weaknesses. That's called discernment. Uh We don't need to walk around naive in life wondering why we trip up over the same things over and over again, that we find ourselves in cyclical areas. Come on, somebody. The things that you used to struggle with in different seasons of your life that they just seem like they rotate back in and through your life, you don't have to struggle with those things anymore. Because the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is an overcoming power that allows you to pass off victory and not just victimhood. So you have an enemy that will study your weaknesses, but God has given us the ability to study the enemy's weakness. So you, you remember Jesus in the wilderness. He was being tempted. The Spirit led him there. And we learn that the properly applied Word of God defeats the enemy every time. That's why we have to have a church that wrestles in the trenches of the Word of God. If you find or sit underneath a pastor that says that they are 100% right, you should run. Look to your neighbor and say, run. Nor should you take everything that I say as gospel. You have your own Bible and you have your... Your own access to the Holy Spirit. It's my job to be a couple steps in front of you, leading, toiling, praying, fasting, believing God for great things for the church. When people come to me and they say, Pastor, you said this, but could you give me some more context because I'm struggling with it? Do you know there are times, ready for this one? There are times that I've said, I said that? I need to, I apologize. That's not really how I actually meant it to come off. Do you realize that pastors can make mistakes? Come on, somebody. Now's your time to really say amen. You've been, you've been holding it back for a minute. And nor should we have a, a church that agrees or, or comes in, in agreement with things that are maybe twisted or maybe I don't have proper understanding or revelation because God gives someone to some things in part. And I'm still, I'm still trying to dive in. Uh, you know, my, my, my 11-year-old son will still ask me questions that trip me up. He's a, he's a pretty smart 11-year-old. I mean, he'll come with his Bible highlighted after Christian school, and it's not like neatly highlighted. It's like bled through the pages highlighted. And so he's highlighted four pages underneath. And, you know, and so he'll look at me and he'll go, Dad, does it really mean that I have to turn my other cheek if someone punches me? Jace got in trouble when he was in kindergarten. There was a, a classmate of his picking on a girl and uh, was, was you know, slapping the back of her head, and Jace had enough of it, and Jace socked him in the nose. So I have to be careful with how I answer my son. So we're already getting into bad doctrine right, weeds right here. Like half of our church says, punch, it, punch that little kid. The other half of the church is saying, well, turn the other cheek. I don't want to raise my kid as a sissy, but I want to raise my kid as someone who defends. I don't want to raise my kid who wants to try to pick fights, but I also want to raise a kid that can handle himself if someone's trying to go after him. Um, I don't believe that we serve a weak savior or have a weak gospel. We, we defend the, the helpless. We, we Come on, somebody. And, and so we, I say that to say that there are things in the, in the Bible that are, we have to be convicted about, and those things are hills we're going to die on. It's through Jesus alone. There's no other religion. There's no other man. There's no other person. There's no other entity that can save you except for Jesus. That's a hill I'm going to die on. Correct? And so we we have to understand that that the properly applied word of God defeats the enemy every time. But we've got to get in the weeds. Men, you get to the Bible study on Wednesday nights. You get to the Bible study on Thursday mornings. Ladies, you've got some incredible. Jamie's Limbo is one of the greatest women's leaders that I've came across in a long, long time. She equips the ladies. There's, there's active, I mean, active questions being asked. There's involvement being there. If, if you want to get in the trenches of the Word of God where it's going to be like iron sharpens iron. You know when iron sharpens iron, sparks fly? And then you're going to walk out of those Bible studies hugging each other, loving each other. Because what we're going to do is we're going to be a church that is going to, as part of our mission statement, be ruthlessly biblical. We're going to do our best to be able to stand on God's word. But we have to know that it's the properly applied word of God that defeats the enemy every time. But you have to know that you have an enemy. I want to walk you through four scriptures here. They're not in the PowerPoint. So you guys don't have to... To freak out up there. Ephesians 1 19 through 23. I want you to listen. Active listening. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead and seated at his right hand in the heavenly places? Verse number 21. Ready for this one? Far above, like he wasn't just barely above. He didn't just, you know, when when Christ got on the cross, I think sometimes we get this picture that he barely got there. No, when Christ does things, he slam dunks it. I mean, if if close was 100 to 1, that's Jesus. And I guess you can say it's close. We serve a, 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 a God who, verse number 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named... And I love this comma, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So if you had any questions about like the immovable object versus the, the, the unstoppable force, this, 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 this comma gives no, not only in this age, but also is in the one to come ready for verse number 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church. Who's the church? I'm the church. You're the church. We're the church, not the building. We're the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. So we have an authority in Christ that allows us to be seated above all rule and authority, power and dominion, that the things that we face in life, we can't look at ourselves the way that we look at ourselves. So we've got to look at ourselves the way that Christ looks at ourselves. Above all. Now, now go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10. So that through the church, who's the church? The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So through the church, Christ put the enemy on notice that the debt collectors are coming. What the enemy stole from you What the enemy took from you, what the enemy robbed from you, you through the church, God has put the enemy on notice that they might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12. Thank you for your active listening this morning. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. People aren't the things that we wrestle with. Your fight is not with the person that's left to right of you or the pastor in front of you. We don't don't wrestle against people. We, We wrestle against the problems and the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. We just read the scriptures that says, where are those principalities actually located? They're located under our feet. We have authority. Look to your neighbor and say, we have authority. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, just stand firm. So, we've won because he's won. And every principality and power must bow down to the name of Jesus. Every antichrist spirit everything every demonic thing that tries to attack our family to attack our church to attack our relationships we have the ability through the blood of Jesus to be victors not victims we're to put on the whole armor of God the belt of truth the belt of righteousness the shoes of peace the shield of faith the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit and just as individually the enemy loves to sell with the wind and suit men's temptations to their conditions and inclinations, he will do so both regionally in the area that you are living and corporately with the church that you're a part of. So you have to understand that there is an active onslaught or a war that is against the body of Christ that largely wins because the church doesn't know they have the authority to cast down these things. Like the enemy has no power over the relationships that are sitting left to right of you, but only the power that you give him. When offense comes, you have the power to walk in forgiveness. When the enemy wants to sow seeds of discord, we have the opportunity to sow seeds of love. The enemy, the only power that he has in the church is the power by which we allow him to have. Let me give you some pastoral insight here. Do you realize that there are principalities and powers that come against the move of God in the regions of the world? I will unequivocally tell you that the principalities and powers that I faced for 21 years as a youth and young adult pastor in the Bay Area, East Bay Area of Vacaville, they are different than the principalities and powers that are at work over Grants Pass and Rogue Valley. I don't know if you guys have ever traveled. You travel to New York City, you travel to Florida, and the atmosphere shifts as you get closer to different kinds of regions. It's because there are different principalities and powers that, that we have to face. And the Bible says that he is going to put his church and give his church in every region the keys to be able to conquer. He's given us authority. So over, if you, if you ever were allowed to see what was happening in the spiritual realm over Grants Pass in this valley... There is a war happening in the spirit. You have to to know that. And you, as God's representee of his move, you will be tested. It's not a matter of of you might be tested, if you're tested. No, the moment that you endeavor to walk this thing out going all in with Jesus, the enemy is not going to like that, and he's going to try to use your inclinations... He's going to try to use those things and and cause his wind to sail on your back. He's going to try to cause a spirit of offense to come. He's going to try to cause, you know, uh, seeds of discord to come. He's going to try to cause, you know, things that have happened to give you low expectations of God. He's going to cause you to fan the flame of doubt in your life. But you have to know, as God's representative, the same power that is in you is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that you don't have to live below any longer. You can live above. So you're gonna be tested. Most don't even know that there is a fight. Most new Christians are going, I thought when I gave my heart to Jesus, like I was gonna win the lottery and I was gonna be able to buy my dream car and my marriage was gonna end up perfect and everything was gonna be great. And then you realize that there is an enemy that wants to try, try to steal, kill and to destroy. And if you don't get in your word and not just run from sin, but run to the armor of God and you have to become aware of how the enemy is trying to trip you up. Most don't even know there's a fight, but you know now. And let me give you some, let me give you some pastoral insight, okay? I've been here almost a year and a half. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab at what I've seen in the Spirit. This region, the Rogue Valley, Grants Pass, has a unique call and purpose on it. I believe when I, when I peer into the, the things of the Spirit, I believe that the Rogue Valley has the opportunity to be a ministry to the nations. I believe it. And I believe that there are men and women in high concentrate that are called to be ministers of the gospel all over the world and whatever has tried to buff it what God has tried to prophetically do in this valley, there is an extreme war that has been happening. The purpose, this purpose, it requires, listen to me, it requires a supernatural love, a unity in the body of Christ, and a maturity to complete the God-given task. That is why, listen to me, this is why. That is why, relationally, this valley has suffered from so much discord in our families, my wife and I, we've made note of the divorces that have just run rampant through our valley. There's no condemnation in this. It's opening your eyes to this spiritual war that's happening in our valley. Relationally, the drugs that have ripped out our families. Relationally, the politics that cause us to clash in the church pews. The churches that have been in competition with each other. Rather than to compete against the enemy and when we've competed against ourselves the mess that has become the schools about what we're going to allow and what we're going to teach. That is why when you peer into the principalities and powers that are trying to attack our valley, you must know that there is an enemy, but that enemy only has the power that you allow him to have. Because he knows if we can be disconnected from God and each other, we will be disconnected from our purpose. Listen to this. To the extent of the greatness of the move that God gives a region is to the extent of the greatness of the war that we will face. I don't know if you've ever felt in times where, as, as a Christian living in this valley, that all of the effort that you are putting in, you're not seeing the fruit to the effort. You're pushing really hard, you're running against the brick wall. You're trying to do your best to live out the call that God's placed on your life, and you feel like you're giving all, but you're only gaining inches. And sometimes in seasons of your life, you feel like you're losing. You feel like you're overlooked. You feel like you're not heard. You feel like you, feel like you want to be part of something that is bigger than yourselves. It is, it is those kinds of signs that if you will wake up and go, it's because we have an enemy. It's because there is a principality and power that wants to try to stop and snuff out the move of God. And how does He do it? He comes to the inclinations that happens in, in regions, and He begins to sow. He begins to sow. If you and listen to me, if you if you've succumbed to some of these things, there is not condemnation that is being brought from this pulpit today. It is my hope. That, that this church will be, will be a church that's known for lasting marriages. For, for young people that don't, when they get to college, run from their faith. That this will be a church that raises up men and women of God to send all over to the nations. To be the church that actually is the conduit by which the well of the Holy Spirit is released to this valley and to the world. But Parkway, you cannot be ignorant any longer. You have to know that you're in a fight. You have to know that every time that your mouth opens to speak discord and negativity and brokenness, the enemy is, is lodging seeds into the soil of the harvest that God wants, and weeds are being raised. You have to know that, that in your families and, and, and what's happening in the politics. Listen to me. This 2024 has the opportunity to be the, to be the most divisive political environment in our nation's history. It has the ability to split churches wide open. But not this church. Not, not, not this body of believers. We, we, we are going to be a church that, that, that sits down in supernatural love and unity and maturity. Because we realized that we are facing a war in this valley because of the great purpose that God has for us. You see these symptoms. The root is everywhere, but the root is there. We, we talked about the root of relationally discord in our families, but you see the symptoms everywhere. I don't know if you drive through our town and our valley and you see the spirit of poverty. Do you see that spirit of poverty? Do you see the spirit of competition? Do you see the spirit of religion? And do you also see the fact that God sometimes feels like it can be hidden voices that like we, we, our voices can't project. I was reading about David this week. David wasn't over, was overlooked until he wasn't. He wasn't crying about being overlooked. He was preparing. While, while, while his brothers were at war, he was doing quietly what God asked him to do, and he was getting prepared. And what I felt like prophetically is happening in our valley is there's been a lot of warriors that have been preparing for such a time as this. And God says you're not overlooked any longer. You thought that the older brothers were picked, but now God is shining His spotlight on you to be part of a great move of God in this valley. But maturity and love and unity must come. Do you realize that we're not in competition with each other? I saw this video on YouTube that you're watching as I'm speaking right now. This is what happens when we compete with a wrong opponent. We start battling with churches in our town. We start battling with fellow believers in our town. We start battling with people in our own church. And the whole time the enemy gets to come a little closer and a little closer and a little closer because we've been at war. We've been at war with the wrong opponent. You know, anytime a church has endeavored to war, and I put this in quotes, war in the disciple-making business, the relational carnage has been devastating, not just for the staff, the church, but also the community. Do you know that when you are a part of a church that penetrates the enemy's territory while unaware or ill-equipped for the battle, carnage can happen. I, um, my wife and I, we spent the first 10 years of our ministry in Vacaville and there was this thing that tried to oppose my wife and I, I didn't just try to oppose, it opposed us. My wife was, and she's going to be, mark your calendars, the first Sunday in December, God's put a faith in your pastor's heart to have my wife share her story and we're going to pray for healings to break out in our church. So my wife's going to talk about the journey that, that she's walked through. My wife had, has had lymphoma cancer, her spleen removed, kidney transplants. She was legally blind, a parasite attacked her eyesight. She's going to tell her story, but you want to make sure you invite friends that need healing. But God, but God in our lives. But I, I remember this, this poignant moment about 10 years in, I took my wife to our local hospital, Kaiser, and I sat in the car with her and I apologized. I said, as a leader of our home, I felt like I put us in a position in a spiritual battle that I was unaware with of the consequences. To protect your family in prayer. Men, protect your family in prayer. When you wake up, when you're driving to work, when you're driving home, there's many times that I'll I'll come in and drive in my driveway and I'll park my truck and I'll turn it off and I stay out there for five or eight or ten minutes And I'm leaving what happened at at my job, my work, my calling, and I'm saying, Lord, I need you to give me the ability to raise my two boys to be men of God in a world where everything's telling them not to be that. God, I need you to prepare me. Would you put a hedge of protection around the men to pray for your spouses and to pray for your children to get in that place? Because listen, there's an enemy that will use your lack of knowledge to get you to question things that you shouldn't question. So we've gotta got dig deep. My, I remember sitting in, that, in that, that parking lot and something pivotal changed. We went from warring for 10 or 11 years to my wife and I grabbing hands and saying, Lord, I do not mind taking punches for you, but the enemy's not gonna win and you just allow me to punch back. Just allow me to punch back. And I'm not talking about like physically punch back. I'm talking about win somebody to Jesus. Cause a broken home to become restored. Allow us to have the authority. And it was from that moment we had an 11 year run where the enemy did not touch my wife physically. Think about that. She's been a kidney transplant recipient now for around 10 years. Hasn't spent much negligible time in the hospital of the doctors. It's a miracle. Be, be, because why? God will allow you, God will allow, I gotta be careful how I word this. You must be awakened to the, the knowledge that God is for you, but He can't overstep your will, your bounds, your knowledge. You've gotta get the word deep in your heart, and then you have to learn how to take authority over those things that are trying to attack you and your family. Churches creating attendance is not kingdom advancing and these will not face opposition. Listen, I can, I can about tell you, if I would just have an hour and 15 minute service, do those two times a day, two times a Sunday, if I were to have a production-based church, one fast song, two worship songs, heavily produced, I get up here and give you three points in a poem, we all walk away, slap each other, high five, We talk about this church becoming the community watering hole with a whole bunch of influence. And we don't, we we go through the Bible, you know, cover to cover, but we we skip the, we we read the first half of Romans chapter 1, but we don't read the second half of Romans chapter 1. So if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And if we just, if we just stay very shallow, we don't try to go to the deep end, the church attendance wise would begin to grow. We just stop mentioning stuff. We, we we stop talking about people's sexual sins, and we stop talking about people's you know problems. And we just we just get really shallow. And if we got really shallow, we could have a church of a bunch of attenders. And on the outside, we could go look at what God's doing here. Look at all these people. We must be doing really good. But the moment that you go from trying to create a church that's based upon attendance to having people that you're discipling, that's when the war begins to wage. Try to disciple people. Try to tell them hey, that thing in your hand, God doesn't want you to that thing in your hand. He wants you to give that up to him. You start to talk about discipling and kingdom advancing, those kinds of churches will face opposition. Bible dictionary talks about that scripture, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Satan is that wily merchant that devours not widows' houses, but most men's. Souls. We must weep in warfare over the destruction of the relationships and an intercession for the restoration of God in those relationships. I had two separate but trusted people approach me on November 5th. I was standing right there down front and one man came to me and he said to me, Pastor, I don't know why I'm supposed to tell you this, but the Holy Spirit wants me to confirm something that the door to restore is gonna be open in 2024. I sat down with a couple that that Sunday, that same Sunday, and they begin to talk to me about a vision that they had, and I won't go into detail because I don't want to, to lose confidence, but they declared with tears in their eyes that the Lord is creating a space for Parkway for the restoration of the work to begin in 2024. I believe 2024 is going to be a pivotal year for our fellowship in our region. I believe, listen to me, listen to the faith of this pastor, that restoration is coming. Where the enemy has wreaked havoc in relationships in our community and in our, in our, our region and in our church, I believe that we are called to be the debt collectors and the enemy doesn't just have to pay him back. He's got to pay him back seven times. That 2024 will be the year of restoration. Joel chapter 2 verses 28 is a very popular scripture and it's repeated in Acts chapter 2. We read all the time the portion of this scripture that's found in Acts chapter 2 and it reads something like this, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I want to pause there. It's not just your sons that prophesy or speak on behalf of God. It's your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Or in other words, when God begins to do something that is incredible, it's not just going to be male. It's just not going to be female. It's not just going to be old. It's not just going to be young. It's going to be the body of Christ in unity being part of the move of God. And also on my men's service and my maid service, listen, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Most of us, we read that Scripture, but we don't read the portion of Scripture that's before that. Listen to verse number 25. So I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. Before revival or the anointing comes for the move of God, restoration begins. I am so believing For the restoration that always precedes revival. The enemy is put on notice by this pastor's faith in this sermon that you've got to take your hands off this congregation in this valley. I believe in the mighty name of Jesus that restoration is coming and that restoration will always precede the revival that God's bringing. If you want to stand in agreement with this pastor, would you give the Lord the biggest round of applause that you've given in a long time? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you have an enemy. My next two points are going to go a little quicker than that. The second thing that you have to know and the know how to win, if Brooke can come back to the keyboard, you have to know that you have a home team. Psalms 133 and 1 reads this. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even's Aaron beard that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, as a dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing that there would be even life forevermore. The, the anointment or the anointing that comes when a church is unified, it starts listen to me. It starts with the top. Your pastors on staff here, your board members, your elders, your lay leaders. The Lord wanted to give me something directly to you in front of this congregation. Unity, it starts from the top. And oh when it spreads, how beautiful it is. I know many people have seen how horrible the church is, but man, how beautiful the church can be. My wife, and we were in the throes of battling, 10 years we faced the warfare of the enemy over our life and my son, Jaden, diagnosed with this disease called opsoclonus, mynoclonus, and never was gonna walk again size him for a helmet, put him in a wheelchair. I remember driving to the Oakland Kaiser Hospital to the 10th floor. My wife, who has been battling sickness and and disease, is now holding my son, who's battling sickness and disease, and I'm driving in a car. Listen to me, I've got a quarter of a tank and $25 in my bank account. And I had questions for God. Questions for God. I wasn't some man of God that was walking around the hospital bed like, Jericho, I wasn't marching. Man, I had questions. And I'm thankful that we serve a God that you can ask Him any questions. He's got big shoulders. And I remember, one by one, how beautiful the church can be. Pastors, were praying for you. I don't have a lot, but the Lord told me to give you this. We were so distraught. We would take whatever monies would come in and we would just stick them in the stick them in the the bags. My brother walked in that room. You remember that day you walked in that room and Steve said he was supposed to be like great faith. And he walked in and saw my son and he immediately started tearing up, tears coming down his eyes. The prognosis was not good, son, was it? But God and how beautiful the church can be. We're in downtown Oakland, had no clothes, $25 in my bank account. I go to the local store. If you've ever been to Oakland, you know that they like baggy clothes. And so I bought me a couple, the smallest size in the store was 3X. Here, this white preacher from Vacaville, downtown Oakland, sagging my my, uh, my sweatpants. I got a pair of shoes on. I got a hoodie on. I was looking good. I really was. I started wandering down there. It's a true story. I started wandering down there, moaning and complaining to God. Why me? Why me? Why me? Walked into this barbecue joint. Walked up to the counter. There's a sign. Pray for Jaden. First Baptist Church. All all day, all night prayer meeting. Pray for Jaden. Look around. This 80-year-old African-American grandma was taking orders, and I said... Who's Jaden? She goes, I don't know, sweetheart. There was just this family that was distraught coming in the hospital. And I heard the mom crying out to Jaden, Jaden's gonna be all right. Jaden's gonna be all right. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Your church needs to pray. How beautiful the church can be. I broke down in tears, weeping. They weren't even ready for this one they weren't even our denomination oh. <laughs> the stuff that we've allowed the enemy to come in and make business that so he has no reason to make business how beautiful it is when the people of God dwell in unity And I said to me, it starts from the head. I pray blessing over every tear that's been shed in this place, every past pastor that has shared with me the struggles and turmoils. I I pray over every relationship that has been lost. And I, as the debt collector of this house, tell the enemy that not only do you have to repay it, you've got to repay it seven times. In all the years, all the years that have been stolen, an enemy, lest you think that I'm trying to pray people back into our congregation, devil, you're a liar. It's not our job to populate Parkway. It's our job to populate heaven. So, Heavenly Father, I declare as a pastor of Parkway that the enemy has to go. Every, every lie, every deception, every relational turmoil that has ever happened, we put him on notice that he's gotta get his wallet out and he's gotta pay it back. And Father, I pray for a season of restoration to come to Parkway and Grants Pass in 2024. I pray for kids that have been lost, I pray for kids that come home. I pray for years where there's been healing or, or disease and sickness, that there will be a, a season of health and restoration. Even now, the anointing's flowing from the head all the way down to the feet. Come on, could we just have a, a Holy Ghost spiritual worship moment here? Break, would you stand to your feet all across this room? Worship team's not even going to sing, but I want you, when you stand up, I want you to stretch your hands towards heaven and say, Father, we stand by the word of our pastor that the year of restoration is coming. God, that you would restore that you would restore. Even right now some of you are saying, can he do it for me? Yes, he can do it for you. He's no respecter of persons. He's going to restore. He's going to restore relationships with sons and daughters and spouses. He's going to restore relationships of people that have left Parkway offended. He's going to restore relationships because the enemy can no longer have control. Because it's tied to our purpose it's tied to what god has for this valley father right now we pray a prayer of blessing over edgewater and river valley we pray a prayer of blessing over philippi we pray a prayer of blessing over every church that's in this region father would restoration come in jesus name from the smallest baptist church to the largest baptist church father to, to to every church that believes like us or differently than us but father if they proclaim the name of jesus That it's it's him and him crucified. We Father, we pray a prayer of blessing over them. We pray for unity in this valley. We pray for restoration to come. And this is why we pray for it, church. Because the scoreboard of life teaches us that we have an enemy, and we have a home team. But I want you to know that we're running out of time. You have to know that callings and purpose, listen to me, have time limits. God spoke to Ezekiel and said, I looked for a man that was among them and found no one. There is a window. Jamie and Nick, there's a window. There's a window of opportunity in front of our church to see a mighty move of God. And unity can't wait six months from now. It can't wait three months from now. The moving of the Holy Spirit, listen to me, it's bigger than an expression, it's bigger than a feeling. It is a knowing. It's a knowing who, who whose you are. It, it's it's uh, by His stripes I am healed. It is a knowing. And If you will get past that this pastor doesn't want a certain expression or a certain style listen to me I just want him. I want him quiet. I want him loud. I just want him I want him with genuineness and sincerity and authenticity I want the people of God to have a space to know him Not just know about him but to know him to know that he's a good good father to know that the enemy, all the, all the havoc that he has wreaked in your life as a young person, he can't know that no more. It's not his, it's not his rights. But you have to know that we're running out of time, that there are windows. And I believe that there is a window before us. An opportunity to see and gain all that God has promised. And I came this morning to declare to this church, Parkway, get ready. For the year of restoration.
1: Hallelujah.
0: stuffing. Is that, don't judge me. Before you walk out there, I know it doesn't mean much to you most, and, and there's not some special place that God can only move, but I felt like God told this pastor to get your family together. We're a family, and I don't know how to get our family together other than to maybe just call everyone to fill the aisles and the altars. And when you get down here, I don't want you to pray for you, I just want you to pray for the person that's gonna be standing to the left or right of you. And I want you to pray a prayer of blessing and favor and restoration over their life, that what the enemy has stolen, he's gotta give back times seven. And just before we head out that direction, would you come join me down this direction, those of you that feel comfortable with it, would you come this morning? And I want you, the moment you get here, I want you to start praying for the person to the left or right of you, would you? a prayer of blessing over every one of these people right now a hedge of protection around their lives their hearts their finances father i pray as my pastor would pray over me this this prayer that didn't oftentimes make sense until i got a little older but father that you would send us enough tests and trials to produce in us the men and women of god that you want us to become Father, we don't pray for easy. We don't pray for shallow. We don't pray for a church that cares just about attendance and dollars in the plate. Father, we pray, we we, we are concerned about the things that you're concerned about. Making disciples, making the men and women of God in us the ability to stand when the world wants to bow down. Father, I, I pray the spirit of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over every, every one of these people in this room, that will you will give them what it takes to stand. God, even now as you're triggering people to, to see how the enemy has lied to them and the things that they're awaking to, Father, that you would give this congregation the know-how to win. Yes. Not just sort of win, not just hopefully win, but to win in Jesus' name. So, Father, we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus just before you walk out that direction I know in a service like this God's speaking in many different ways and avenues and, and arenas um, I'm going to give this microphone to Bonnie she's going to share for a few moments she brought this very profound thing and and I don't even want to step on it but just this is an incredible thought that this lie that oftentimes we, we we get ourselves into so would you just share really quick
2: um, as Pastor was sharing, uh, and it's been on my heart for a while, but of course, like some of you, I go, no, no. Um, and so, most of you know that our twins are a blessing. And before that blessing that we walked through, people would come to us and be like, oh my gosh, you and Jason, your marriage is so perfect, so perfect. And then, as we received our twins, the blessing that God put on our lives, we struggled. We struggled. But I was so focused on like, well, God already gave me a blessing. He wouldn't let our marriage fail. He wouldn't let us stumble in this season. He wouldn't let us fall. And unfortunately, you know, we kind of started having problems because welcome to, to baby life, let alone times two. And we were so afraid to let others know our struggle because we had this blessing we should be thankful for. And so the redemption is, he can bless us more than once. He knows the story. We just have to bring it and lay it at his feet. And I know there's other people here that are struggling with that. My blessing is good, but it's not as bad as theirs. It's not a comparison, and we need to stop believing the lies.
0: stand by your husband. This is going to be um, symbolic of what God's going to do in almost every area. Do you realize none of us are are worthy enough? (laughs) The grace and mercy of God in our lives. Favor ain't fair. And so I'm going to pray that God in this next season of 2024 blesses your socks off in such a way that you're going to open up your hands and you're going to go, I don't even understand this. But to thank God and, and... Bonnie, in just her transparent, authentic way that only she can, um, they're going to stand in here. And if I can get some of the board members that feel comfortable, would you come and just put your hands around them and pray a prayer of blessing over their marriage restoration? Would you guys stretch your hands this direction? And I believe symbolically, this is a lot more than going on. And this is not even just about them. It's just about what God's going to be doing and release through all of us. Would you guys just, uh, sing one more time before we close. Pastor loves each and every one of you, and my only thing that I'll leave you with is don't eat too much turkey, where you got to be rolled in this next Sunday. I love each and every one of you. God bless you. Enjoy your week this week with your family.